It is good to be with you this morning and to get to come and to just share a little bit what has been on my heart for a while as we look at this day of the church address. We have done this, uh, we've had a few of these, I think three uh, to be exact, over the last uh, four years. And so um, this is always a wonderful time uh, to, to not only get to preach God's word uh, and, and, you know, specifically on some things, but also to rejoice in what God is doing. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us, uh, Paul writes, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, and so, brothers and sisters, you and I have much to be thankful for. I know that uh, the past year and a half has been rather um, difficult, and it seems that it is not over with. It seems that we have many challenges that face us um, in the coming months and years. We have dealt with a pandemic. Uh, we have dealt with even uh, just sickness and death in our own community. Uh, we're, we're seeing governments act in ways that governments were never intended to act uh, according to the will of God. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those things where we are kind of sitting here just kind of a little bit of a turmoil, a little shaky ground. But God has been so good, hasn't he? I want to just share with you some things over the past year that God has done right here at FBC. And some of these may seem insignificant to you, but they are not. Um, one of the things that I am very thankful for, uh, and this is one of the things we do at Save the Church, we always want to start out first just saying, man, God, we rejoice and we're thankful. One of the first things that I wrote down, and, and I say this very humbly without boasting, um, this is because this is not about you. This is not you didn't do this. I didn't do this. Trey didn't do this. This is God. But God has blessed us over a year and a half without one single outbreak at this church of COVID. I, again, today may be different, but we give God praise and we rejoice in him. He has been good to our church. We have had, we've added a couple new members. We had one baptism and I got to rejoice in, the bapti in baptizing my daughter. And, and today we will take the Lord's Supper and she'll get to be a part of that. And so that was a blessing this year. Um, after a year and a half of, of, or maybe not a full half, but after over a year of no fellowships, we, we have had several wonderful fellowships. We had the fish fry and ice cream socials. We, you know, we, we've gathered, uh, we had Crafty Cafe yesterday. And, and so I want to say to all the ministry teams, the social ministry team, the family ministry team, the mission ministry, all, all those who were involved in any of the fellowships, the Sunday school classes that were involved in any of the fellowships, beloved, let me just say I rejoice and give God praise for you and the work that you have done that after a year of not meeting and being locked down, you, you work to get us to be able to meet. And so I say thank you and I love you. I rejoice in what God is doing through our ministry teams and our classes and stuff. One thing that you may not know that is very exciting uh, for those, especially I think for Trey and I, um, you know, we, we want to put books into your hand and so... And if I'm wrong, if I miss somebody, but Jessica and Chelsea, if I miss, they have worked very hard on the library team, and so the library has been revitalized and repurposed. And so we want you, and I think it'll be open today that you can go after the service or even tonight, this evening, and you want to go check out the new library. Uh, we've moved some things around. We made it a little more comfortable where you can go and hang out in there during the week and read or whatever. And we're steadily going to be putting new resources in the library that you can check out and be able to read. There's study Bibles in there. If you're looking for a study Bible, you can go check those out and see which one you want. 
that you may want to buy for yourself. And so I'm thankful for our, for our Revitalized Library, and I appreciate those ladies for the work that they have done. Um, financially, uh, in 2020, a year that we thought would be really difficult financially, we brought in 97% of our budget with an excess of $60,000. Since January of this year, the, since January of this year, and, and Larry and I were talking about this, and I'm just, I'm just going to kind of round this up. It's somewhere between 100 to 104% of our budget has been brought in for the first six months of the year, and we're already looking to see that we'll have a, the same excess or even greater excess of what we had last year. And so in the middle of a pandemic, God has been faithful, and you have been great stewards and faithful uh, in your giving. And so I say thank you, brothers and sisters. May we not rejoice in that. God has blessed us. Amen? Um, not only that, here's one that I am excited about. It's taken two years, and, and, we're, and some of you are ready to, do the, ready to finish this, and I'm so sorry that the calendar has not worked out this way. Um, but we are two Sunday nights away from finishing the New Testament survey. And so in two years, or maybe two plus, we have finished an overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that has been some of the, some of the best compliments I've gotten in the last two years have come from that class. And so you have, you have just loved that and said you have learned so much. And so that is good. We're not just teaching from the Bible. We are teaching the Bible here. And so you are learning God's Word. Ladies, your core seminar that you had where you were learning how to study the Bible, so many uh, wonderful compliments came out of that, and so much good is coming out of that. But here's one that I want to spend just a few moments with this morning. And it is one that I think that we can recognize those, the deacons from the past who have worked, and then what our deacons are doing now. But over the course of the last four years, one of the things that I've heard from our deacon body is, is a a call to revitalization and reaffirmation. And reaffirmation being the very first part of this step in revitalization, but a, a call for, for the, for, from our deacons. This was coming from within the deacon body, and I've seen this over the last four years. And so our, our deacons have just really have committed themselves for this, for this upcoming church year and from here on out to be faithful members and faithful servants of our church. And I have watched these men grow and wonderful ways over the last four years and they have become not only have they just become great advocates for me I think and great helpers and servants with me in, in the church but they have become great friends and, and so I, I cannot tell you how much how thankful I am for the deacon body of First Baptist Church of Jonesboro now with that said they have called themselves to this reaffirmation and revitalization and so I thought that was amazing. And so over the, you're going to begin seeing our deacons beginning to serve in ways that, that you may never have seen them serve. And I look forward to this. They are literally stepping up in the area of leadership. And so within this, this, this revitalization, as we begin to look, and many of them, there were some who said, I need to take a year off or so. And, and, we, and we're good with that. And so and there were others who said, I've been doing this for a really, really long time. And they said, it's, we, it's time for us maybe to take on the status of Deacon Emeritus. And I want you to hear the names of these five this year who have taken on the, 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 the title of Deacon Emeritus. And this kind of retirement, it's, it's really not retirement. They're, like, they're basically like our, 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 our grandfathers who we look to. This doesn't mean they're not going to be active. This doesn't mean they're not going to do. But they said that, that they're going to, to take on this Deacon Emeritus status in this kind of 
you know, and begin to let the others begin to leave because they've been doing it for a while. But I want you to hear the names because you will know the names and I want you to hear the years. I'm going to ask Brother Troy if he'll come up and I'm going to ask that the deacons that I call, if they would come up, we want to thank you for the years of service that you put into this church. For those of you who, are, who have taken on Deacon Emeritus, you mean the world to this church. And this church has reaped the service of the many years of service. And so, FBC, would you just sit back and just hear this? Mr. Howard Pepper, 38 years. Now, I'm going to round up the 39 for all of them. I'm going to round up them all of the thir- to one more because every one of them was ordained in the fall. So, so we're, they're just months away. So, 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 I, so I think it's 37, but I'm going to give him a 38. Mr. Richard Two, who has served 32 years, 33 years. We ran up. He was ordained this fall. 33 years. Mr. Jimmy, uh, Mr. Bobby Lyles, who is here 47 years serving this church as a deacon. And Mr. Bobby, I'm going to add, you served as a Sunday school director and in many, many other ways. Mr. Jimmy Harrison, who I believe could not be here this morning, he's be praying for him and his health. Mr. Jimmy, who has served 22 years. And Mr. Emmett Smith, not Emmett Smith, Emmett Hall. (laughs) You didn't play for Dallas. Mr. Emmett Hall, who this October has served 50 years as a deacon of this church. Brothers and sisters, would you please give them a round of applause. Now, one other gift that we would like to give you. This is a New King James Bible, and it is a large print, and it is, it has, and it is made. And I'm sorry for those who, I, I, hey, look, I'm, I am so envious of this Bible. I will be preaching out of one of these very, very soon. Uh, oh, you wanted the audio Bible? So, oh, okay. I was going to get you one, Mr. Emmett. And uh, this, is, this it, it is made out of goat skin, so thank the Lord for the goats who were sacrificed for this. But this, this I am very envious of this, and so I myself will be getting one for myself to be preaching from. And so this is a gift from us to you and for the many, many years of service that you men have served our church, have loved our people, and have brought glory and honor to our God. And so I want to say thank you as pastor, and we want to say thank you as a church. Thank you. We love you. Now again, that does not mean that they are not going to be active, uh, but our deacons are really taking a commitment to leadership. Now, Brother Trey and I have one other person that we want to do who also has served, I have been told, for 50 years in this church. But she has served in another way. Ms. Deborah Fordham, would you please come? You have served our church, whether it was playing the organ or the piano. And if I'm right, is it 50 years? Organ for 50 years. We are so thankful for you and what you do. And... Every Sunday, it is a joy to hear you play. 
and to be a part of the worship. This is an enjoyable time for all of us, and you are a part of that, and you do so much more. Thank you so much. We love you. Okay, there is also another, uh, to our deacons, to Ms. Deborah, there's also one other gift that we have for you, a little small token, but it is on its way. It is not here yet. I ordered the Bibles uh, several weeks ago, and I was told it wouldn't be here till the end of September, so I had to uh, go and order from somewhere else to get them. So apparently shipping these days are very, is very difficult. Brothers and sisters, we have so much to be thankful for, do we not? We have so much to rejoice in, and it's we're rejoicing, and we're not just we're not we're not putting people on pedestals, but we are rejoicing in what God has done with men and women in this church. And so I want to say thank you to those who have served and who have done. You mean the world to us. Let's pray, Father. We give you praise this morning, Lord. Whether it's that we met budget, Father. Whether, Lord, it's the fact that we finished a, a survey. Lord, uh, of the Old and New Testament, our new library, baptisms and new members, and Father, Lord, but most importantly, men and ladies, Lord, who serve you. Lord, this church is a body. It is members. It is, we're all different in all different ways. And Father, we are thankful to call you our God, and we are thankful to call them our brothers and sisters, our family. And so, Father, we rejoice today in all that you are doing in this very body. And now, Father, we turn our attention, Lord, as we look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, not just this year, but in the years to come. And, Father, we pray that the leadership of this church, Father, that the men who have committed themselves, Lord, to lead FBC will serve and leave in ways that are godly and wise. And that, Father, you will bless the fruit of their labor, just as you have blessed the fruit of labor of many who have come before us. Lord, we are thankful, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, the Gospel of John. As we look at forward to the next year, I want to look at the words of the famous John the Baptizer. And I will go ahead and tell you that this State of the Church address will be different than those that we have seen in the past. And it was almost like a mental block in some things. There's, I always wanted to kind of get, and you'll get some tangible things this morning uh, that we're looking forward to. But I do think that today's call for the church for this coming year is really more spiritual than just physical and tangible. It's really more an issue of our hearts and what we need to do as we are walking through this next church year. And I want to use John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had a very growing ministry as we come here in John chapter 3. He was considered a wild man, dressed in you know camel hair clothes, living in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey. He had a pretty miraculous birth, which also kind of added to his popularity. But His preaching was as miraculous and as wild as his life. According to Luke chapter 3 verse 2, he went into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was something that kind of came as a shock to many. 
In Matthew, he speaks of John's growing popularity in chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, notice the wording here, then Jerusalem, as though all of Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. So, so many people were following or going to hear this wild man preach, and they were beginning to believe or, or begin to repent of their sins. John was preparing them for the coming Messiah. Many from the crowds were becoming disciples. They were becoming students of John. They were leaving their livelihoods or they were sacrificing much of their time that they would sit under the preaching and teaching of this man. Eventually, Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, was coming to hear John. They, John was popular. They thought they could get in and so they would come. And John, though, knowing, you know, knowing that they were not genuine and knowing the legalist and hard hearts of these men, he rebuked them, which only made him more popular because he rebuked those who were oppressing the people. And so in the eyes of society, especially a religious society, John the Baptist had a growing ministry. Yet something happened to John's ministry. Something that would change the trajectory of his ministry until he died. And unlike many pastors and ministers today and evangelists today, it was not sin that changed the trajectory of his ministry. It was something quite the opposite. Listen to this in John chapter 1, verse 35 and 36. We read again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. You say, well, that's pretty amazing, right? And John the Baptist, he, that's his purpose in life. His purpose is to point people to Jesus, to prepare the way and, 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 and show, tell everyone, man, that is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Yes, wonderful moment. But notice verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Well, that's awesome, right? They followed Jesus. Yes, it is. But those two would go to follow Jesus, and then two more would go and follow Jesus, and some more would begin to follow Jesus. And eventually, the crowds who were coming to hear John would not come to hear John. They would eventually begin to go and hear Jesus. And so from this point on, John's ministry would begin to decrease, and the ministry of Christ would begin to increase. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what, that's what God had predetermined would happen. God had purpose would happen. It's the way it was supposed to be. That was the purpose of John. But in our text this morning, in John chapter 3, verse 22 through 30, we see an instance where the disciples of John who have remained faithful are struggling with this passing of the torch. These disciples are offended and even jealous that Jesus is gaining a greater crowd than John himself is. And I want you to see this because I do believe there is something to be learned here. So look with me in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. It says, after these things, Jesus and disciples came into the land of Judea. And, there, and, and he was spending time with them baptizing. And by that, we know that it was mainly Jesus' disciples. His disciples were baptizing. John was also baptizing in, in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification, about the baptism. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. 
You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. It is here, beloved, that we find that wonderful statement, a very powerful statement, a difficult statement to make. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. That must means there's a necessity there. In order for Christ to increase in ministry, to, the word increase means to, to cause, to grow, to become greater in extent, greater in size, greater in prominence, greater in quality. John had to decrease, which means the opposite of that. He had to lessen in all those areas. So, so in order for Christ to increase, John must decrease. So, so you don't get John and Jesus increasing. That's not how this is. You must decrease. Christ must increase. And so many of us in our lives, we want to increase Jesus, but we want to increase ourselves. And John said you can't do that. But neither do we want to decrease Jesus and decrease ourselves. And so here we find that in his ministry, his popularity, his sermons, his baptism, and everything else that was to go with John the Baptist was never to overshadow Jesus. This means his ministry had to fade. His ministry had become less. Now, I don't mean his service. We know John never quit serving. Matter of fact, he served even more because he would go before Herod and call Herod out to repentance. But he had to fade into the background. And here John describes the necessity for Jesus to continually increase in prominence and esteem while he continually lessens. Brothers and sisters, there is a valuable lesson here in this text. Christ must and forever be growing in our ministry. Not us. I don't mean your spiritual growth, but I mean in prominence, in quality, in that which we give praise, in that which we give thanks. Christ must forever and always be growing in our ministry, and we must always continually be dying to self. As William Carey, a great missionary pioneer, once as he lay there dying on his deathbed, he turned to a friend as they were talking about his funeral, and these were some of the last words of William Carey. He says, when I am gone, do not talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's Savior. I desire that Christ alone be magnified. So opposite of funerals today. So many times in the funerals we come and we talk about the person and we never really talk about Jesus. There's been times I've sat in a funeral and really never heard anything about Jesus. Because we want to increase self. Even after we die. But we find in the scriptures that you and I are to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And that means we are to die to ourselves. We are to suffer and that we are to count all as lost that we may gain everything in Christ. And so this was the spirit of John the Baptist as well. That, he must in, that Christ must increase and John must decrease. So beloved, John says here, what he says here is not just truth. It's not just the truth that you and I need to embrace. It is an example that he sets for all of those who would follow Jesus and those who would minister. This is an example of the church. 
that we are to die to ourselves, decrease ourselves, that here within the church, that here within our ministry, with here within our community, we, as we die to ourselves, Christ is being lifted up and increased in our church. And so this morning I come to you with a call for this coming church year. That this is what true ministry is all about, and this is what a true church is all about. The church is about increasing Christ as we decrease ourselves. And so as we enter into this new church year, church, I, I believe that we need to grasp that First Baptist Church needs to decrease, that Christ must increase. That all focus and all applause and, and, and all quality and everything that we give as a solution, and everything we do is about Christ and His glory and His honor and not about us. That every decision and every challenge that we come to, that it is answered and it is, it is fought with and, it is, and we press forward with the idea that I am doing this, that Christ would be glorified. What about Brian? Who cares about Brian? Like John, we must never get in the way of Christ's ministry and, the, and His glory. And that's exactly what these disciples were wanting to do. They were wanting to get, they, they were saying, John, you can grow with Christ. You, you, can, you can be up there with Him. And John said, no. I can never stand in the way of His ministry and His glory. And so from this passage, there are three areas within the church that I believe that we can see here where you and I need to decrease, where we must decrease, that Christ must increase within the church. Three things that I want you to see this morning. I want you to see our church or our definition of success, our religious rituals, and our service to self. Our definition of success, our religious rituals, and our service to self. Notice first this definition of success. Notice chapter, notice verse 22. So after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and he was spending some time with them and baptizing. John was also baptizing in Aenon and uh, near Salem because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. And look at verse 22. 26, and they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to him whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. As we noted, John's ministry is decreasing here. More people are coming to, to, to Jesus. As a matter of fact, those who are coming to John, John's probably sending them out to Jesus. Less people are being baptized and following John while more are following Christ. And so, you see here, as, as this is taking place, this is not setting well with John's disciples. They are literally offended. They are literally jealous in competition with Jesus Christ. And annoyed that John would dare point out, send people over there to him. They are annoyed that Jesus was uh, surpassing their own group. Now, I want you to ponder this for just a moment, okay? We, we, we've got to sometimes get past the surface level and really get to the reality of what's happening here. Ponder what's taking place. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, He is God, is on earth. And people are coming to God to be baptized and be transformed. 
Amen, right? Would you not rejoice this morning if I was to stand up and tell you that that was taking place, that God has come and he's taking flesh this morning and he is with us and, and, and he's baptizing people down the next... I mean, we would rejoice that God was here. We'd probably all want to run out and go to, the, go to that church where he's at, right? But this disciples, these disciples are offended. They're offended that he's gaining more popularity, more people. And this sounds a lot like churches today because as churches, we are in competition with one another. We look at other churches with them and look at how big they are. We don't rejoice in how big they are. We, we want to be big ourselves. So we're always in a competition with other churches. We want more cars in our parking lot than the church down the road. We want more popularity. When I was in Rocky Branch, I literally had a woman who, who uh, was at the, the neighboring church, the neighboring Baptist church, which was split off the church I was at. One time, come and asked me, and said, you need to one day come to our church because our music is so much better than yours. And I was the pastor of the church. There was, there was competition. There was comparisons. We want to be popular too as a church. We want to have bigger events and bigger crowds and we get upset when doing the right things and doing the biblical things like John's doing sends people to to other places, other groups. We get upset. Why? Why is John's disciples having such a hard time with this? And why do we ourselves find find ourselves always in... These competitions and comparisons and things. And we're never satisfied with that which God has given us. J.C. Ryle answers the question. Listen to this in his commentary on John chapter 3. He says, he, he calls this the party spirit. And he says, the party spirit which is painfully common among Christians today. What does he mean by this, the party spirit? Well, what he means is, is that Christians want to increase their party. Churches want to increase their party and their following but they do not want to increase real Christianity. We want to increase our party, we want to increase our following, but we're not really concerned about increasing true Christianity. And so John's ministry was never about growing in size. It was never about becoming popular. His ministry was always about pointing to Jesus and saying, there is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, preparing the way. And so when John was not doing what they thought was successful, when John was not doing what they thought would gain the greater crowds, when John was not doing what they thought would would be a better ministry than Jesus, they had lost sight of what true, faithful success looks like, or, or success that is faithful looks like. And so here we see, was John any less successful because more people were being baptized Jesus? Was John, any success, was John any less successful when more people were following Jesus, more crowds were following? Was John any less successful when five people came to hear him preach where Jesus got a thousand? Absolutely not. In verse 27, John says this. John answered and said, he says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, John understood that his crowd and his ministry and his popularity and everything that, that he did in the ministry, that everything came from God himself. And his job was to be a faithful steward of what God had given him. And so John knew that God was the one who decided these things. And he wanted to just be faithful and, and, and basically send as many people to Jesus and Christ receive as much glory. FBC, hear me this morning. We need to decrease our worldly definition Uh, of success in a church and increase a biblical definition of success in the church 
In other words, there are those of us here today. We need to let go of what the world says is a successful church. We have watched for so long ungodly, unbiblical, false teachers grow in sizes and do things and we go, well, they're not teaching the right thing, but we want to do the same things they do. But is that still the, we, we measure our success according to what the world says is right. We want our churches to, to look like and act like and speak like every other church in the world other than realizing that God has given this church a job and God has given this church a certain group of people and this church a community that God has decided what we are going to do. And we commit ourselves to be faithful in that task. Brothers and sisters, I am afraid that many times that we have such an unbiblical definition of what a church even is, let alone just what success is. And so we need to decrease worldly definitions of a church through repentance. We need to understand that sometimes that what we think truly is a church is really not what the Word of God calls a church. This is the reason why we've been going through 1 Corinthians. We've walked through 1 Corinthians, and you have seen over and over where Paul has been correcting and rebuking, and he's been decreasing the Corinthians' view of what success is, and instead showing them what it really is. And I truly believe that the American church culture today needs to repent and come back to a biblical definition of the church We need to repent and decrease comparisons of other churches and competitions with other churches. And we need to repent and decrease confused and misguided beliefs about what the Bible says a church really is. And we need to increase Christ by going back to the Scriptures and learning what God says is truly successful within the church. So I challenge you. If you walk out those doors and you go out the foyer, there's a book table and there's a, a, a book rack and there's a book rack there and there's a library now. This church is full of resources on, on godly uh, uh, authors who have written wonderful books on the church. They can help you and uh, to do that you can read. We're preaching it from the pulpits. We're, we're, pre- we're teaching it Wednesday and Sunday night. We're, we're doing this, but, but we, we need to dive in. And truly, this is something that I had to decrease myself and understand, that there's a doctrine of the church. It's called the ecclesiology here. We need to decrease what we th- about the worldly thing and begin to understand that this is what the church has called us to be. And so this year, I would challenge you to take upon yourself personal responsibility to grow in understanding of what the Scriptures say a church is. And then I would also call on you this, this year to increase Christ through biblical practices within the church. Such as the membership of the church, membership that matters. Such as family ministry. Such as stewardship, faithful stewardship within the church. Such as discipleship and and. And reaching our Jerusalem, these are things that we want to see. We want to be faithful to the practices, to the methods by which God has given us in the church. And as we are faithful, John says, listen, as I am faithful to do what he's called me to do, we're being successful. John understood that. And so we want to increase Christ through healthy biblical practices. But secondly, I want you to notice 
religious rituals. Look at verse 25. And so therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Here we see a decrease in religious rituals and an increase in spiritual realities. This discussion that has arisen up was probably somewhere between a debate and an argument, meaning there was tension in the middle. It, 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 you know, just a, just a you know, friendly debate. To an, it's somewhere in the middle. There was tension within this, within this debate that they were having, this discussion. And what, was they, and what was the discussion about? Well, purification involving ceremonial washing. Not just baptism, but the washing of hands, the cleansing of oneself before they do something. It's very likely that this, that this um, ritual that they're talking about um, was, had to do with baptism. Not just baptism and the method and the nature of it, but also the superiority of, of baptism with John and Jesus. Who, whose baptism is more superior, Jesus's or John's? And so this compelled them in this discussion about what was going on. Because apparently people were talking, right? John's not as popular as he used to be, so, so people are, are talking, they're discussing. You know, this happens in the church. People talk, and they run to the pastor, and they come to the pastor, and they say, well, I, somebody was so-and-so was saying something. I mean, what are we going to do about this? That, that's, it. that's what's implied. They come running to John. John, I've been talking to some people, and they're talking about our group. You're not baptizing as many people. You're not, you know, his baptism is greater than your. What are you going to do about it, John? They were jealous. But the focus was never on the reality, but on the ritual of baptism. You must understand, they missed the spiritual reality taking place. Again, the baptism, the purification, describes the process of making one clean, freeing one from filth. And so the point of baptism or any religious washing was to symbolize the person's need to be spiritually cleansed. They, they were sinful. They were sinful and they needed to be cleansed. They needed to have a washing. And so Jesus dealt with this in, in the Gospel of Mark where the Pharisees had said, your, your disciples are not washing their hands, Jesus. Now theirs had nothing to do with COVID or germs, but everything to do with tradition and rituals. They're not washing their hands before they eat. They'll defile themselves. And so Jesus says, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of man are what defile the man. In other words, the ritual was never the main issue. Why? Because the ritual of washing your hands or being baptized could never truly wash away the filth. The filth wasn't outside of you. The filth was inside of you. You are sinful on the inside. So the ritual was never about truly fixing you, but yet pointing you to the one who could wash you and who could free you of your sin, who could redeem you and save you from your sins. The spiritual reality was, you need a Savior. Well, who could wash away sins? John, what are you going to do about this? He's baptizing more people than you. You're not as popular anymore. You're, you're, you're decreasing, John. What are you going to do about this? And John is sitting there going, Who can wash away sins? That man right there. 
Jesus Christ can wash away my sin. And so the ritual was always pointing to Jesus. But it was never the ritual that was the priority. It was the reality. You need a Savior to cleanse you. And some of you this morning, you are in need of a Savior, aren't you? Because some of you have done the rituals. You've been baptized. And you've walked the aisle. You went to Sunday school. You've, you've done church. You did all the rituals and you thought that that would make you clean. That would, that would free you from the filth. And what you really know is, is that you're not satisfied. And like in our Sunday school, man, Ecclesiastes, we're just not satisfied. And you're realizing that you are missing the one thing that can save you and wash away your sins forever. But you haven't come to him, have you? Because you believe the ritual was the important thing. And so therefore, because you were focused on the ritual, you missed the reality and you never truly accepted Christ as your Savior. You never truly repented of your sins. I call on you to repent this morning. Stop placing your faith in rituals. Stop being like these disciples here who are, who are missing out on the Savior who is, who is baptizing people. And Notice here that John's disciples, they are offended about this. Why? Because they are focused on the ritual. And they are missing the reality. FPC, do you want to know why so many church happen, so many complaints happen in the church, and so many churches are shallow, and so many churches are dying, and they're just fading in? They're not decreasing of self and stuff. They're literally closing their doors because they have focused for too long on the rituals of the church and never on the reality. Their affection and their love was more about the ritual. I had a man tell me one time in another church, I don't care what you do on Sunday mornings. I don't really even care what you preach. All I care is, is that the doors are open and you're up there. That's ritual. You don't care about the gospel. You don't care what's coming out from the pulpit. That, that means you don't care about the reality. You care about the ritual. And more discussions concerning dissatisfaction and offenses arise because we are focusing on rituals rather than spiritual realities. FBC, we need to decrease our affection, our love, our focus on religious rituals and begin to increase our affection and love for the spiritual reality that Christ has called us to. Notice I said decrease, though. So let me deal with this really quick. I said decrease, not destroy. Because the ritual of baptism for the Jews was good. It's an ordinance now, now that Christ has come. It's an ordinance that not only is just that you, have been, that you were sinful, but that you were sinful and that you have now been saved. You have been redeemed and cleansed. And we don't, wanna, we don't get rid of certain things just because people may not be doing them right. We're not saying destroy. We're saying decrease our love for the ritual and instead put our love and our affection on Christ and the spiritual reality that he has called us to. When we say things like we've always done it this way, this is what we've done for a hundred years. That is a ritual. I'm not saying the ritual to be destroyed. But if you are far more proud that you've done something for a hundred years than you are of the spiritual reality that it is supposed to represent, you have a problem. The problem is, is that you have now superseded the ritual over what Christ has called you to. And so if you say, we have done this potluck for a hundred years. 
and you care more about the tradition of the potluck than you do about the fellowship of the saints, about the hospitality of the believers, then, brothers and sisters, you have increased yourself and you have increased the event over Christ. When the event becomes greater than what we are trying to accomplish, we need to repent. Like John, we need to recognize that the events and the programs and the things and the rituals that we do, they're all just a means to get, to, to accomplish and to grow in these realities. And so brothers and sisters, if, if, if this is you this morning, you, need, you and I need to repent. And we need to increase in spiritual affection for the realities. And you say, Brother Brian, what realities do we need to increase our infection and our love for? Well, I really thought through this. And I believe the best way to tell you this is that we've already given them to you. Here in our church, we have embraced what we call the core values of FBC Jonesboro. And for example, we need to embrace the reality of biblical fidelity. That, that we want to be faithful to the Scriptures not faithful to traditions. We want to be faithful. Again, traditions are great as long as we're being faithful to the Scriptures. We, we want to be faithful in expositional preaching, that the Word of God is being preached expositionally every Sunday, that, that the pastor is, is coming out of the Word of God and he, he's not preaching politics, and he's not preaching his opinions, and he's not just ranting, and he's not just raving, and he's not just entertaining but, that, but, but we understand that, 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 there, that we can turn the very pulpit itself into a ritual. So what we desire is, it's not just that somebody just be up there, but that whoever is up there is preaching Christ in every sermon. And that we are not worried. That we, and the ritual becomes the issue of time. And we look at the time and the God-honoring worship. And, and we will say, well, how long have we been in here and what are we doing? And so that becomes a ritual. Rather than you met with God today, no one will ever go to heaven and say, God, we followed the Baptist ritual of we were in there for 60 minutes. We got in and we got out. I bet you're proud. No one's ever going to go up there and say, say, God, you know, we did this song and we did this music and we did this ritual within church. I bet you, I bet that's what really mattered to you. He has called us to God honoring worship that we meet with Him on Sundays. Determined discipleship that you are, are focused and that you are committed to being discipled, that you are growing in your faith, not just coming on Sundays and going home and not growing, but you are determined to being disciples yourself. Family focus, we understand that we are to raise our children up in the admonition of the Lord, that, that we understand the family is important, that really what we're seeing in America, brothers and sisters, is not because you voted the wrong person in, but because we have, we have decreased God in our families. And that is the problem. And so we as a church want to get back to the fact that we are seeing men, fathers and husbands, that women, wives, mothers, that they are being godly in the home and they're raising their children up. And we want to be gospel witnesses in our church. And we want to have in church investment that we are involved in the church. And that you don't only see someone one or two times a month or one or two times a year, but we are invested within the church, faithfully invested 
and we are looking to reach our Jerusalem. This is what matters. These core values that we have set forth, beloved, is, is a way in which we can set our affections and our love on rather than we just did this event. FBC, I challenge you this year. There are two when there are challenges and there are choices that are going to come that you and I will have to say, are we being faithful? Are we increasing Christ or are we increasing ourselves? And then thirdly, look at, look at verse 28. He says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride at the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of, he says, so, so this joy of mine is made full. Now, I love this because what John is doing, he's given a parable here. And so you have a bride who is the people going to Jesus. You have the church, the people who are following Jesus. And you've got Christ who is the bridegroom. He's the, he's, the, he's the groom up there, okay? And then you've got John, and he says, I am the best man. And so in our, in our culture, we don't understand it the way John does because normally the best man basically only just throws some kind of bachelor party or whatever and gives the ring and he stands beside the groom. But that's not what happened in John's day. No, the best man had a far more difficult job. The best man had the job of serving the bride and the bridegroom. He was kind of the gopher. He would go between the families, and he was working to do all these things. He would help plan the wedding. He would serve tires to get the wedding planned. He would help invite the guests to make sure people were there, where they were seated, and he would deal with any problems with any of the guests. He was helping take care of the food. He was attending to the needs of the bridegroom, anything he would need, or even the bride if she needed anything. And in some cases, he had the great honor of escorting the bride to the bridegroom. And then he waited by the tent as they consummated the marriage, and when he heard voice from the bridegroom, he would say, our joy is complete. They are married. The friend of the bridegroom served both bride and, bride and groom, and he did so with no thought of himself. It doesn't mean that he didn't serve. He actually served even more, but he did so with no thought of himself. He didn't stand there beside the bridegroom and think, I wish everybody was focused on me. No, he looked and he said, our joy is complete. The two have come and been made one. Beloved, too many times, like John's disciples, we would rather be more, we would rather the glory and the applause and the focus be on us rather than on Christ. We seek our own glory. We rejoice when, when we increase ourselves and not Christ and we get offended and jealous when the church doesn't serve or meet or act in a way that befits me and my desires and my view and my will. FBC, we need to decrease serving ourselves. Quit using the church as a way to boast up or, or to fill up your pride, your self-gratification. We need to decrease false ownership of the church. The church belongs to God. Decrease using the church for our gain and decrease using ourselves. Decrease ourselves by getting even out of our comfort zone and doing hard things. There are things that many of us say we will never do because at the end of the day, it's uncomfortable and it's hard. And so we think of ourselves rather than Christ. And John says, I got to do the hard things, I've got to do the things that make much of Christ. But notice, we decrease serving ourselves and we increase our service to Christ. 
where we love everyone in spite of our wrongdoings, in spite of what we do, in spite of what they do. We love one another, even in difference of opinions. We, we're loving one another, and we're committed to one another. We're not casting one another. We're, we're here walking with one another in these hardships. We're serving Christ by, by showing hospitality. If I could call you to anything this year, that you would amp up and serve Christ in, in ways that are hospitable to our guests, that when people would come into the church, that they've never been here, that they don't just leave out of here with you knowing their name, but yes, know their name, and just leave out of here with you shaking their hand and telling them they're good. Serve Christ by taking them out to lunch, by telling them, saying, look, I'd love to have you in my home. Serve Christ by, by saying, this is my Jerusalem, and my Jerusalem has come into the church, and I know it may require some uncomfortableness on me to take these people and do something with them, but serve Christ and not ourselves. We decrease ourselves and we become far more hospitable. And like John, we're the best man and we're just serving in every area that we can. And church, I would say to you that this coming year, we want to increase Christ in our unity and service. And so one of the things that we want to do, and this is going to be very new, is we want to have our church council. And so our church council is going to begin meeting. And we're going to have, it's not going to just happen after. We're going to do it on a Sunday night. And so that'll be the one thing that we do. We're going to try it a few times and see how it goes. But in the church council, the very first one, September 19th, our, the chairmen of our ministry teams and other areas are going to come together. And we're going to begin working in unison to serve our church. We want to serve Christ in our church in all areas that we can by decreasing ourselves and serving sacrificially. As we draw this to a close, listen to this. In the words of J.C. Ryle in the sentence, he says, In this sentence, John the Baptist was only the servant. Christ was the master. He was only the forerunner and ambassador. Christ was the king. He was only the morning star. Christ was the sun. The idea implied appears to be that that of the stars gradually fading away as the sun rises after the break of day. The stars do not really perish or really become less, but they pale and become invisible before the superior brightness of the great center of the light. The sun does not really become larger or really increase in brightness, but it becomes more fully visible and occupies a position in which it more completely fills our vision. And so was it with John the Baptist and Christ. Every faithful minister ought to be like-minded with John. He must be content to be less thought of by his believing hearers in proportion as they grow in knowledge and faith and see Christ himself more clearly. And then J.C. said this, As churches decay and fall away, they think less of Christ and more of themselves. As, a church, as churches revive and revitalize, and receive spiritual life, they think less of their ministers and less of themselves and more of Christ. To a decaying church, the sun is going down and the stars are beginning to appear. But to a reviving church, the stars are waning and the sun is appearing. Brothers and sisters, if we increase ourselves, we will only be stars in night and we will be surrounded by darkness. But if we increase Christ and decrease ourselves, the sun will appear here at First Baptist Church. And it will be a lighthouse to all of this community and to this parish. And so I close this morning with a challenge. That in these three areas, I ask you for this year, 
to commit to increasing Christ by developing a biblical view of the church, something we have been working on for several through preachings and teachings, but continue to increase Christ by developing a biblical view of the church. Repent if your view of the church is is unbiblical. Commit to increasing Christ by focusing on spiritual realities and not religious rituals. It is the realities that we are fighting for, not the rituals. And finally, commit to increasing Christ through you serving the interest of Christ and not yourself. And I believe if we are committed to all three of these, not only next year, but every year after that, in every state of the church address, we will have much to be thankful for and rejoice in every year. Why? Because the sun has appeared and it has brought light. Let's pray.